a church in Alabama that received a surprise this past Christmas. On Christmas Eve, a check arrived to the church for $1,000, which isn't bad, but even better than the, the check, even worth, worth more than the check itself, was the story behind the check. Forty years earlier, a ten-year-old little boy had stolen a handful of quarters from the church. He had lived with that guilt for years. You know, life, life went on. He got married. He had a family. He built a, a very successful business. But that guilt just ate at him the, the whole time. And he finally decided that he had to do something about that. And, and I think about the amount of that check. I think about a, a check for $1,000. The guilt that he carried cost him far more than what he had stolen. And the price that he paid was a reflection of that. And that's a lesson that we've seen in some of these bad examples that we've looked at. They start out as, as little mistakes. You know, the, the little bit of grumbling, just a, a little bit of complaining, just a little bit of disobedience. But in the end, the price is high. And, and the story we're going to look at today is like that. It, the price is, is awful. The price is more than the, than the sin itself. And it's a reminder that some of the mistakes that we make do damage to more than just us. They, they damage those around us as well. They damage those closest to us. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 7 today. The entire chapter, verses 1 through 26. And if you're using the Bibles there right in front of you, it's page 182, Joshua chapter 7. Uh, this story is sandwiched between two very telling verses. If you look at Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And then if you look at the last verse, it says, Then the, the Lord turned from His burning anger. I think about those two verses and the way they hold this story together, and I think there's two things that we need to know. First of all, what could we do that could be so bad? What could we possibly do that would be so bad that the anger of the Lord would burn against us? And secondly, what could we possibly do that would be so good that the anger of the Lord would turn away from us? And it's important to know where this story fits in the, in the bigger story of, of Israel's history. Three chapters earlier, if you went back just three chapters earlier, Israel finally entered the promised land. Everything that they had hoped for, really since the time of Abraham, but really uh, everything that they had been hoping for for 40 years, during that 40 years of wandering, uh, now they finally come home. And one chapter earlier, we have that amazing story of the victory over Jericho, which many of you have heard since you were children, how they marched around the, the city, how they gave a loud shout, how the walls came a-tumbling down. And so the next city to take here in chapter 7 is the city of Ai. And, and really, Ai is just a little town. There's just a few thousand people there. How difficult could it be to find victory over Ai? We begin in verse 1. <clears throat> but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, 
the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judas, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the, the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shabaram and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. 36 soldiers dead. And the text says the hearts of the people melted and became as water. What, what had happened? After experiencing such an incredible victory over Jericho, what we see here, the lesson of Ai, is about disobedience. The lesson is that disobedience leads to defeat. Now, several of these bad examples that we've been looking at over the past six weeks, today's the seventh, uh, several of these bad examples come from Paul's list in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I've often referenced 1 Corinthians 10 as I've gone through this list. This one does not come from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is one of my own uh, that, I, that I wanted to preach on. Although I look at it now, I think, why on earth did I want to preach on this text? But those lessons that Paul teaches us, those examples that Paul has, every one of them comes from that 40-year period of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years of Israel with no victory, uh, with never really moving forward, with never really moving towards their goal, the only goal they had in that 40 years was to let the previous generation die out. You know, let all of those unfaithful people who had gotten them stuck in the wilderness die out. And, and then we can finally get victory with a new generation. And, and you would think that they would have learned from others' mistakes. You would think that they would have known better. You would think that they would have been ready to experience victory. The story takes place immediately, immediately after that 40 years of wandering. And, and what do we see from Israel? They're still making bad decisions. They're still choosing to do wrong, and they're still thinking that they're going to get away with it. God's, God's instructions about Jericho were very clear. March around the city. Take the city. The walls will fall. You go in and take the city, and everything in the city belongs to me. You don't take any plunder. You don't take anything for yourselves. You don't take their goods. You don't take their gold, you don't take their silver, you don't take their animals, you don't take their wives. All of it is dedicated to me for destruction. How hard was it to follow those instructions? And then verse 1 of chapter 7, the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. We go on down into to verse 6. The defeat of Ai was, was punishment uh, on the whole nation for one man's 
disobedience. Verse 6, after they come back, after 36 of their men have been killed, verse 6, we pick up and it says, Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs from before their enemies for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear about it. And they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? This one's not in Paul's list. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and yet the lesson is still there. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he falls. Joshua doesn't know about Achan yet. Joshua assumes that the reason for their defeat, Joshua assumes that the, the reason that they've lost, he assumes that the blame falls on God. God has, has led us down. You hear that in verse 7? He says, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Joshua's big concern here is that God's going to make himself look bad. Yeah? Verse 9, he says, you know, the Canaanites are going to hear about this. They're going to hear that you failed us. What is that going to do for your great name? <clears throat> How many times do we wonder, why isn't God answering my prayers? Why is my life so miserable? Why is my life falling apart? What, what's wrong with you, God? What, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you able to do this, God? And we'll blame God, but we won't look at our own disobedience. God never changes, right? I mean, you guys are aware of that. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's an all-powerful God uh, of limitless possibilities on one day, then the next day he will still be an all-powerful God of limitless possibilities. So if God has the ability to give you victory in the city of Jericho, then obviously the same God is going to have the ability to give you victory in the city of Ai. So what's the difference? Isaiah's got this great little verse in Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, Isaiah says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, and the ear of the Lord is not too dull to hear us. So, so God's arm is long enough to reach down and save you. God's ear is not dull. He's, he's not going deaf. You know? he, he can still hear your prayers. He, he can hear us. So, so what's the problem? If God can act, why doesn't he? If God can hear us, why doesn't he? Verse 2 there in Isaiah 59 says, but, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. and Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Verse 3 says, For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with guilt. 
Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. There are times when we feel defeated. There are times we feel like God has let us down. And we ought to stop and ask ourselves, can God even hear me? Can he hear me over my disobedience? Can he hear me over my sin? Can God hear me over the things that I want to do and that I want to be known for? The lesson we learn here isn't just for Achan, uh, the man who, who stole the devoted things. It's, and it's not just a lesson for, for Joshua as he led the community. The lesson is for all of us. The lesson is that sin breaks our connection, not only with God, but, but sin breaks our connection to our community. You know, God's response to, to Joshua is almost a rebuke. God, God says, get up, get, get off your face. You know what the problem is. This is no time for self-pity. This is no time to blame me. You know what the problem is. You know what needs to be done. It goes on in, in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. I want you to notice God doesn't identify Achan as the one who's failed. God doesn't identify Achan. Who, who does he identify? Israel. He identifies the, the whole community. Israel has sinned. They have failed to hold each other accountable. There are three words that we're concentrating on this year. Is there any chance you remember what those three words are? Is there any? Okay, the first word is, and the second word is, and the third. See, you guys are good. That gather word, we love gathering. We love it. Oh, my goodness. Wednesday night, okay? We, had, we have this Wednesday night service every other week, Wednesday night live, where we sing some new songs. We use uh, video, and we sing along. Sometimes we have uh, had Mary come in a, a few weeks ago and play for us, and we all kind of picked out the hymns that we wanted to sing. We have a great time of worship. We just have a wonderful time with the, in the Word and in worship. But this last Wednesday, uh, we had a lot of leftover cake from the youth lunch. And, and it was going to go bad. <laughs> so we hurried up and got through the worship part, and we went back there and we ate cake. And, you know, usually we're just here for an hour on Wednesday night. We were here a lot longer than that. I don't know what time we finally went home, but it was getting late. And, uh, but we love our gather time. But gather is about more than just having a good time together. It's more than just about getting to know each other. Gather is about support. It's about being there for each other you know it's about trust and it's about building a community paul references our in back in first corinthians again paul references our physical bodies in first corinthians 12 28 and he says of our physical bodies you know if one part suffers every part suffers with it but if one part is honored every part rejoices with it and then he turns that around in the next verse and he says you are the body of christ in other words you, you need to take care of each other uh, you are the body of Christ, and every, every one of you is a part of it. You're a part of something bigger than you. That's easy to recognize in victory. 
that's easy to recognize when everything's going great. I mean, yeah, we, we want to claim that we're a part of that. If everything's going great, yes, we, we are a part of that. We're, we did that. I may not have done much, but we were there, you know, and we, we did it. We, we're, we're part of that victory. We're part of that wonderful thing that's happening. But we also have to realize that in, in failure and in defeat and in sin, we are all still part of, of that same body, and we need that accountability. You need someone who will watch your back, and you need someone who will occasionally look at you and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> you don't do that. God puts the blame, after God gets blamed, God puts the blame squarely on the whole community and calls all of them to account for the sin. Going on in verse 13, get up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemy until you take away the devoted things from among you. And in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man. And he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. And so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerites were taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near the household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to Him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. I want you to notice not just Achan's sin, but Achan's path to sin because it's a story you've heard before. If you look at verse 21, first of all, Achan said, I saw, I saw this cloak. I saw the silver. I saw the gold. So he he saw them, and then he said, I coveted them, meaning I desired them. I wanted them for myself, and then I took them. So it starts out, I saw, I desired, and I took. Where have we read that before? You know, if, if you go all the way back to the beginning, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is being tempted by the serpent. What does it say there? It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable. It's the same idea as coveting. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. 
and he ate it. No new tricks. I saw, I wanted, I took. It didn't belong to me, but I saw it, I coveted it, I took it. David, walking on the roof of his palace, looks over and sees Bathsheba taking a bath, bathing on the, the roof. He saw her. He coveted her. He, he desired her. He took her. He killed her husband so that he would be her husband, so that she would be his. You can go all the way to the New Testament. Go to, go to uh, the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira see the acclaim that, that men like Barnabas were receiving because they were selling their goods and selling their land and giving it to the poor. And, and they were being lifted up as examples of those who were doing good things in the church. They saw that. They coveted that same kind of attention. And so they took it by lying about what they had actually given and presenting it before the church as, as their actual gift. It continues. It continues in, in our lives. It continues in our world. It's, it's why we say, be careful little eyes what you see. <laughs> you know, be careful little hands what you touch. careful little heart what you want. Every time it happens, it's disastrous. Every time it happens, it's, it's got disastrous consequences. And the, the whole community suffers and every time it happens, you have to stop and say, where's the accountability? Where is someone who would stand alongside this person and say, don't do that. Don't take those things. Don't touch that. That doesn't belong to you. Sin breaks our connection to our community. And every time it happens, the result points to the same conclusion as Aiken's story. And that is that, that the hurt cannot remain hidden. Picking up in verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And then... The anger, the Lord turned, his, turned from his burning anger. And therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. This is one of those stories that people throw at us every now and then when they want to tell us that God isn't fair. It's one of those stories that people throw at us every now and then when they want to say, you worship a God of love, look at what he did. You look at what he did to this man's family. Those kids didn't do anything wrong. He, he had his entire household killed, his children, his sons, his daughters. We want God to be fair. We, really, we do. You know, we, we don't want to see the innocent punished, but, but the story is a reminder to us that our, our sin, our sin hurts more than just ourselves. Our sin hurts those who are closest to us. It's also a reminder that our sin 
oftentimes takes, takes more than just ourselves, that, that somehow we've got to get other people involved. The reality uh, is, of this, in this story, he hid all of these objects underneath his tent. Now, let's just go ahead and assume this is not a spacious eight-room tent. <laughs> this is not a big house. You know, they, they are still wandering. They're, they are still in the process of, of taking the land. They're, they have not actually built homes yet. He's living in a tent with his sons, with his daughters. How do you hide something under a tent without everybody who lives in that tent knowing that you did that? Where, why were his sons and daughters not saying, Dad, don't think this is a good idea. Don't think you ought to be doing this. Why weren't they going to the authorities themselves and saying, this has happened? Why, they didn't. They allowed it. They were, they were going to benefit just as he had. The gold and silver was there. They were just as guilty as he was. Have you ever been that person? Have you ever been the person that has to keep someone else's secret? Have you ever felt that guilt because you're the person that has to keep someone else's secret? The reality is, getting someone to keep your secrets for you, that can be really damaging. It can be damaging to everyone. Now, now there's a difference between having a, a confidant who, who is not only going to keep your secrets, but is also going to help you through your secrets. You understand that? Uh, that we ought to have somebody that we can trust Somebody we can go to and say, hey, I screwed up, and they're going to hold us accountable, and they're going to make sure we don't screw up again. They're going to make sure that we face up to the music. That's important, but there's a difference between that and the person who is simply going to keep your secret because you can't bear it yourself. Keeping it without any, any eye to, to growth or change, that's damaging to, that's damaging to their relationship to God. That's, that's damaging to your relationship with men. I, I've had to be that person before, and I don't like being that person. It may feel good to have someone to share it with, just to, just to get it off your chest. But if all they're doing is keeping your secret and never helping you towards healing, never bringing you back to God, then all you're doing is making their lives miserable too. Our sin hurts those who are closest to us. It can really hurt those who love you the most. And, and you may think that you did a good job of hiding you may think that you got it buried really, really good. No one's ever going to find it. Not even those closest to you. But how do we forget that there's no one closer than Jesus himself? That there's no one who loves us more than Jesus? Achan and his entire family were taken out of the camp, were taken down to the valley, and there they were stoned, they were killed. That, was, that happened away from the people. It happened away from civilization. It happened away from the camp. It happened outside the gates. Because you don't bring sin into your home. You don't bring that stuff into your home. You don't bring that into your community. Then the, There's a price to be paid, and that price is paid out there, away. Here with Achan and his punishment, <coughs> his death, and the death of those dearest to him. Achan's punishment becomes a picture of what Jesus did for us. Now he suffered for us. There's an amazing little scripture in the book of Hebrews. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, it took Achan outside of the camp, right? 
Remember that? They took Achan outside of the camp. They took him away from civilization. They take him outside the gates. Hebrews 13, verse 10 said, Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Out there, out there in the valley, out there away from the walls of the city, that's where, that's where judgment happens. That's where the price of sin is paid. Maybe you feel like your sin has cast you out. Maybe you feel like your sin has put you outside of relationships with other people. And, and there's some times when people actually say, I, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. If you knew what I've done, if you knew the mistakes I've made, if you knew the sins that I've committed, you wouldn't want me in your church. You wouldn't want me in your community. Sometimes we feel like we belong out there. We feel like we belong away from everyone else. But the beautiful thing is, in that place, in that place of loneliness, in that place of the loneliness of sin, that's where we meet Jesus. That's where we meet the one who gave himself for us. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. The next verse goes on and says, Therefore, let us go with him, let us go to him outside the camp to bear the reproach he endured. The good news is if you feel like your sin has made you an outcast, and if you feel like your mistakes have cut you off from everyone else, you're in the perfect place to meet Jesus. You're in a perfect place to know His grace. And I have to confess to you, just for everybody else that's here, there are a lot of people in this building who've been outside the wall. There are a lot of people in this building who have been outside the camp with their sin, who have felt that loneliness. There's not a single person in this room who has the right to judge you, who has the right to stand and say, at least I didn't do that, because all of us did that. And we will love you, and we will support you, and we will encourage you, and occasionally we will say, why on earth did you do that? We will help you find a better place and a better way. There are enough people in here who have been beyond the walls with our sin. We're here to help. We're here to help you see Jesus in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your being outcast. We come to the table. He invites us to the table. Not because we're worthy, but because He is worthy. Because He's the host. He invites us to the table, knowing full well what we've done and knowing that we need his presence. And we come to the table today and we're going to be reminded that, that there is nothing that I have done that has ever, ever caused Christ to abandon me, that has ever caused him to leave me alone. And as we come together to the table, we come knowing the love and support of, of Christians who are going to bless us, who are going to help us through those rough times, hold us accountable call us to him. Let's, let's stand together.